Hey, this is Tony Benjamins. Hey, this is Colin Matson. We're from Forest Entry, and you're, you're listening, listening to KFMP Misery Point Radio. Rock on, bitches. <laughs> to another locally inspired episode of Misery Point Radio. Well, local to me anyway, I have no idea where the fuck you are. Not that it matters, I heart you regardless of what shithole you live in, and I always appreciate the effort you make to drag your asses through the wasteland to hang out with me here and celebrate the piles of awesomeness provided by our epic guests. And today, my friends, I feel it is my duty to inform you that you're about to be bludgeoned into submission and administer a double dose of the lethal Pacific Northwest bone kraken fever, for which there is no cure. Today's guests are, in fact, legendary in this neck of the woods. As members of OG Seattle thrash band Forced Entry, Colin Matson and Tony Benjamins had a huge impact on the world of metal. And even though they were only initially around for a few short years when they disappeared into the macrocosm back in 95, they definitely left a lasting legacy and a huge void in the Northwest music scene. So when rumors of a reformation started circulating, I quickly squeezed one out, changed my pants, and invited them onto the show to talk about it. And here we are. Tony and Colin were awesome enough to discuss all things forced entry. We had an amazing conversation about band history, the early days, their thoughts on their records, some personal conflicts, what led to them calling it quits back in 95, and of course, what lit a fire under their asses to get things going again. And in typical Mike fashion, I veered down the usual rabbit holes and came back with some nuggets of random awesomeness that I'm excited to share with you today. This was a killer conversation that was far more revealing and informative than I ever expected it to be, and I'm ridiculously excited to have you be able to take a listen to it, even if most of you motherfuckers definitely don't deserve it. So, whip out that anaconda, breathe in the miasma, and prepare to get fucked up. Check this shit out. All right, guys, welcome back. Thanks for hanging out on Misery Point Radio. Check this out. I am here with two, count them, two pioneers of the Seattle metal scene, which is, of course, very near and dear to my heart. So please say hello to Colin Matson, Tony Benjamin's forced entry. Guys, thanks for joining me today. Hey, guys. Great to be on the show. What's up, Mike? I don't know. I'm just doing a show. You know, little things like that. Right on. Cool. Well, uh, this is uh, this is exciting. I'm stoked to have you guys on. This is uh, kind of the Seattle metal scene, I, I think, is kind of in the process of actually a small revitalization. I'm, I'm excited about it. There's been a lot of new bands kind of kind of coming back and forth over the years. But my heart and my soul kind of lies back with the heyday of the 80s and 90s. And I, I just can't escape that time frame. It just always keeps coming back at me and of course you guys were a part of that so i guess uh let's just kind of address the five million pound elephant in the room and here the two of you are together and there was this set list that popped up on the old book of faces with some maybe some songs that were going to be performed and the rumor is forced entry might be thinking about doing a little something something so kind of catch us up on what's going on there 
you want to take that or you want me to say go first? Ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm the one to put the set list on there, but I didn't actually realize it would cause any type of hubbub. <laughs> I had sent that out to another guitar player, ex-guitar player for a Seattle band that had at the time said he wanted to get together with me and Colin and do it, or he was capable of doing it. And then he just sort of fell off the face of the earth. But so at that time, we were like dead set on doing this with this other guy that I don't want to mention his name because I'm not sure what happened to him. But in the time with the COVID and all the other stuff, I mean, lots of people have, it's a trying time, right? So we're certainly setting our sights on doing some reunion stuff. We're not going to try to be 25 years old again, for Christ's sakes, <laughs> but uh, we're going to do it one way or the other, huh? Well, and the, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, Tony and I have been around the music scene for a long time, so we know a lot of people. And, uh, you know, like Tony said, we're not going to be, you know, a 25-year-old three-piece thrash band up there doing hour and a half sets. But we know a lot of talented guys, and we do some old stuff. We do some new stuff. At this point in our lives, we do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. But the excitement is kind of back. I mean, Tony and I have been talking about this for years. Um, you know, the reunion of our second record, As Above, So Below. Yeah, and it just, it just feels right, you know. And Tony's been coming over to my house and hanging out with, you know, some of the guys from Coven and bunch of other you know random seattle forest entry fans slash you know there you go that's a good way to explain we've had yeah. a lot of guest stars come by and play with colin and i in the rec room as it's called here in his studio <laughs> oh you get a shot of the rec room entrance over there nice There's the rec room Spelled with a w <laughs> there you go awesome and uh and yeah but we haven't yet cemented the um the lineup okay you know? and we always wanted to be a two guitar player band we could just never find another guitar player I was the other guitar player in Forest Entry. For anybody that lives around here that knows, you know, me and Brad Hall played soccer together, and we were the guitar players. But we could never find a bass player that could write the arrangements that I wrote. So eventually, I had to sell my guitar shit and play bass. I think everybody's familiar with that story. But if I could go to a two-guitar player band, that'd be awesome, and I'd play bass and sing again. Or we've talked about today about me playing guitar and just having another guy play bass. No. No. Because I'm certainly capable of playing the Forest Entry shit on guitar. Like I mentioned here a little earlier today, 90% of it got written by me. Like, I would bake the cake... And then I'd let Brad put the frosting on it. You know, <laughs> our guitar Brad, you know, would mainly do the solo stuff, but it's not like the the rhythms or the arrangements. Those are all written by me and Colin. Yeah. So, you know, we had sort of a process where we would do that. Hopefully it's not too long-winded of an answer. Um, so we're just looking for uh, somebody ready, willing, and able to, you know, create some new music and play some of the old stuff too. Awesome. So safe to assume, though, that at this point, forced entry being a thing i don't know if the word again is the proper word but maybe coming back on the scene that's a very that's a very real thing that is now uh on the table that is happening we're happening it's happening it's happening yeah. wow yeah. i just wouldn't want to make an implication like we were going to try to be what we were 25 years ago you sure know? well fuck i, mean, I wish older, i was what but... i was 25 years ago but that ain't happening oh. either so <laughs> we're still physically capable, I believe, but yeah, I just don't, that's the reason why I didn't play all these years myself. Cause I just think that's a fool's game, you know, to, to try to be a, uh, what would I want to say? Just like a career rock star that never was kind of thing. You know, I didn't want to be a 50 year old has been trying to play my same old shit from 30 years ago. I'd rather create some <laughs> new music now that enough time has passed and I've had other careers and raised families and I've still stayed friends with lots of these people like Colin. Now I'm like, let's fucking do this, especially I'm realizing more and more the impact we had on people's lives back then. I, I think impact is a great word to use because, you know, it was the Seattle metal scene back in the day. I, I think when I think about it, I, you know, I think of, of you, of course, I think of 
you know, panic of bitter end of the accused yeah. of sanctuary of Queensryche of just so many, uh, TKO, you, you know, all of those dudes you mentioned and us hung out like pretty much every weekend. Oh yeah. We would all hang out and party. Hey, totally fucking rabbit hole here. But I, I always said, if I got a chance to talk to you and maybe if I ever get a chance to talk to Blaine down the road. Okay. So how if familiar you... are you guys with Kitsap County? Fairly. Yeah. Okay. I, when I was a kid, lived in a neighborhood called University Point Circle. And at the okay. top of the circle, the entrance to where you come into this neighborhood, there was this house. And in this house was a constant party, constant music playing, and just a never-ending flow of clearly musicians coming in and out of there. Because, you know, I'd see like drum sets being unloaded, guitars, amps. And at this yeah, point, yeah. at this point, I was like, I was just fucking drooling because I'm like, I, I know, I know there's some awesome people coming through here. And the rumor is that forced entry and the accused came and went throughout that house and were playing parties at this place. Is that a possibility? Does it ring a bell? Yes. 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 Yeah. Tommy and I were great friends. The guitar player from the accused. Uh-huh. And I certainly remember taking freaking van uh, trips, van trips and like, uh, Ferry trips over to the plane to Tasha's, I think, in Bremerton. Yeah. Some of that with the Q's. And I have lots of flyers of us playing with the Q's. But, you know, we were different styles of music, but still from, like, the same general hood. And we had the same basic attitude of fuck them all, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and have a good time doing it. Yeah, we love playing with the Q's. I mean, they are. And we were a big fan doing the informal jams, too, with all kinds of people. Yeah. And we'd, a lot of times we'd just switch the names up a little bit, you know. Like, uh, like you were mentioning about the puddle of what, but remember like we had the dead drunks. Yeah. We had the freaking 1000 pounds band. You and I were in. Yeah. We had uh bad joke, bad joke. Yeah, that was some of the guys from Coven, right? Yeah. Some of those play with us in bad joke. Yeah. So we had lots of those kind of bands over the years so that it wouldn't blow the place up. Otherwise 5,000 people would show up at this house. <laughs> so if we put the wrong name on there, it would only get out a little bit. Who was playing? Like we played with Kim from Soundgarden or, we played with the dudes from Covenant, the accused, you know, we just call ourselves something different. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. We'd be like a night of living death with bad joke. <laughs> and then we'd go shred this fucking house down. So, uh, so that's cool. You guys are confirming, uh, what I had always wondered about. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fucking awesome. That sounds completely legit. <laughs> it's definitely possibly maybe, I mean, I didn't memorize my life, but it sounds right. Yeah. Right. And uh, speaking of, of shows, uh, you know, small shows, very unannounced. I remember there was a down on Bay Street here in Port Orchard. Uh, there was a club called J.A. Michaels, uh, Castaways. And uh, and then next to that was a, the old Bay Street Ale House. And I remember seeing a flyer out there. Um, it was like forced entry playing here. And I was just like, holy shit, dude, that place can hold like 12 people. And I didn't hear Castaways about it. Castaways place? Yeah. I think I remember that place. Yeah, well, it was, so it was but there was there was only about twelve people there because it was like the fire <laughs> came out the day before or something, and nobody wanted to take that ferry over there. Yeah, I remember there was a couple of hardcore fans there. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, and we play places like that just for just for the freaking experience. I think just for shits like we and giggles. Red Roof Hub well, and, and you know, I I remember it because I mean, I I didn't get a chance to go there because you know it was it was just 
I heard about it after the fact, but I remember seeing the flyer a couple of days. Like I was like, God damn, it actually happened. That's that's totally crazy. <laughs> so you know, many moons later, you know, obviously, you know, '95 came and went. And you guys kind of uh, parted ways for a while, and then there was some kind of got back together and go separate ways again. And then there was a 25th anniversary here just uh, recently. And I just always think about all of those old shows and, and all that old stuff. And you mentioned Coven, and of course, the the Babbitts are. Uh, super huge uh it was just uh just admiring how awesome uh, that band still holds up too so we grew up a block from each other like <laughs> dean was one of the very first guys to befriend me when i moved here from new york oh man he's like hey want to go to my house after school you know and I, when we were like eight or something <laughs> and uh, me and dean babbitt actually bought our first guitar together like we both put in like 15 dollars allowance money to buy this old lyle like acoustic electric yeah, lyle i love that, we that. Still talk about to this day <laughs> yeah like a chuck berry looking guitar yeah and uh, i remember lyle guitars because those necks were like fucking oak trees they were just so yeah, thick like there's one head. hanging right behind him right now <laughs> oh look at that that's lyle that's nice that's killer, dude. Not the one you did. <laughs> no, bought. not the original one. That one's like bright red. But I remember that's like my wife's dad walking through the neighborhood, like cradling this guitar. Me and Dean, and like all the older girls, going, "Oh, what do you guys think? You're cool. What are you guys doing with that guitar and all this crap?" <laughs> like amazing. That's you know, we're not even ten years old yet. I was given guitar lessons for a buck a song when I was twelve. Oh man, shit! I would have fucking taken that for a buck a lesson. I remember. Yeah, like people would be like, hey, can you show me the, the rhythm to, you know, Crazy on You or Rock Steady from UFO? I'd be like, yep, fuck. Give me my dollar. Now, uh, now with the cost of inflation in the Seattle area, that dollar equates to about $475. So uh, just so you guys know. Uh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, that's uh that's awesome. I mean, I, I, like I said, I still, I still hearken back to those days and, you know, it kind of a, uh, Hey, Tony, now that I think about it, did you skateboard to Colin's house to do this? You know, like what you guys used to do in the studio, just hop on your boards and, and code a session on, on your deck. Occasionally a more BMX bike by the time I got to be 17, 18. Yeah. But um, I'd say when me and Colin first became friends, I was probably still riding a skateboard occasionally. <laughs> and I certainly grew up with a huge half pipe in my yard oh. and used to shred that thing, you know, vert ramps and stuff long, long, long before X games. Yeah. <laughs> I rode my BMX bike on the vert ramp and yeah, my older brother and his friends did a lot of that vert ride and stuff. Yeah. I seem to uh, recall the stories of uh, for your first recording sessions, that you guys all showing up on your, on your skateboards or your BMX x-bikes and i was like that's yeah that's pretty pretty. yeah no the uh whatever, oh, the, oh that, stacy christian that weird little studio oh, over yeah. there stacy the christian that place called? scm oh scm yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it was like it was like three blocks from where we practiced so we would just ride our bikes and yeah, skateboards down that there shit. like colin was at 21 when we first started playing remember you used to sit no. outside yeah, I couldn't even play in a bar when I was in the band when we first started. <laughs> well, that's funny. My dad, my dad had to accompany me or my mom. Because Brad and I are a year older than Colin is. Yeah. About eight months, I guess. Or no, you guys have the same birthday. Yeah. So I'm three months older than you. But Brad's a year older than me. Yeah. One year exactly. Yeah. So, so anyway. Uh, yeah, listener question then, I guess, from our, our mutual uh, our mutual buddy, uh, Charles Sepulveda, wants to know, you know, how old were you guys uh, when you recorded Uncertain Future? I would have been, we started recording it in, what, 88 and released it in 89? I thought 87. Oh, no, it's scratching all this down. Right. So 23. So Colin would have been 22, right? No. No? Because I graduated, so 18. I would have been 20. 86. 
I was 20 and he was 21. I was 20 and 86. Gotcha. So if it was 87, it was 21. But if it was 89, it was So you were 22 and I was 21? Something like that. Yeah, early 20s. Like that. Early, early 20s. 20s. Oh, actually, but I some guess. some of those songs weren't thrashing up us down like a year before. Right. And, we, and that was also at London Bridge. So it's kind of carried through. We did re-record it. So yeah, like we recorded we recorded some of those songs for a demo before they, a year before they ever made it on Uncertain Future. And that might be why it's a little blurry. So then I would have been 19 and he would have been 20 when they were originally recorded. And then we remastered it and put it on the album. Oh, gotcha. De- from the demo. So, yeah. Oh, as and actually, I, I guess as it turns out, that question was uh, that was from Steve Fournier. That wasn't from Charles. Um, I'm old. Oh, hi, I can't... Steve. <laughs> hey, Steve. Oh, hi, Charles. Hi, Charles. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Two uh, two friends of yours, and obviously two two fans. Hey, speaking of Steve, another rabbit hole. Colin, if I understand this correctly, you were somewhat responsible for kicking Steve's ass up on that stage at that Loverboy show where uh oh, damn. he got to get up yeah there and... that would have been that that would have been me <laughs> yeah Be, let's just say that when steve and i are standing next to each other one of us is a lot bigger than the other one <laughs> so i picked him up and put him on the stage physically accosted him and chair. made him get up there yeah look you we're story? yeah hang on so Can for, tell for, the story for, for the the, i'll do the quick version so those of you that don't know uh it was uh me and Eric Close from Coven and Dean Babbitt from Coven and Steve Fournier and me and our significant others, we went and saw Loverboy at the Everett Theater or the Everett Arena or whatever. And uh, Mike Reno was really sick and he came out and did one song and he blew his voice out. Oh, there you go. So then the background singer, who was also Mike Reno's wife, said, um, hey, and she was joking. You know, hey, unless there's somebody out there that knows the music, I turn around and look at Steve, who's an incredible drummer and an incredible singer. And it just so happens that we'd kind of been practicing some Loverboy songs just for funsies. And that's why we were at the concert. (laughs) So I turn around and look at Steve and I point at him and I go, you, you're going up there. And I grabbed him and we ran down the aisle. I pitched him up there and he he sang with Loverboy like three songs. Yeah. Yeah. And he nailed it. (laughs) That is literally the storyline for the movie Rockstar, by the way. I mean, just pretty much. (laughs) And also, Steve, I mean, who we all know is a phenomenal drummer. And then one day he pulls the magic, I'm a fucking singer out of his ass. And we're like, where did this come from? What the hell? Yeah, I've known him for. I think we all, me and Colin (laughs) pulled that singer out of our ass thing too. Brad, like, we had no idea. We tried out all these singers in high school, like our bar band, or like, uh, you know, just high school bands in early days. None of those fuckers could sing anything except for like these high falsetto metal type voices. Yeah. Not like cool, like Bruce Dickinson, but like super quiet varieties think. Right. So finally Colin one day was just like, you sing Tony. I'm like, I can't fucking sing. And he's like, just yell in the mic. You look cool doing it. And I was like, all right. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, you have to do it. And we all just started three kind of started singing. Yeah. Swinging it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it works. And I, I think uh, one of the things that I, I think stands out really about your guys' vocals, uh, you know, is that it really, you guys have always kind of towed that line with with combining technical with melodic, and it works in a way that doesn't work with a lot of other bands. You have a lot of crazy time signatures, lots of cool short choppy staccato stuff, and then it opens yeah. back up. And you know, Tony, a lot of accelerado and decelerado stuff you usually only see in commercial music. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, Not commercial music, but classical music. Yeah, it's uh, it, so I, I always appreciated the fact that that forced entry that. had that ability to really have those throaty vocals, but at the same time, just kind of kind of take it down a, a level. So yeah, well, I think the way Colin explained it to me when he was trying to talk me into singing was like, 
Um, you know, Mick Jagger can't really sing and neither can Jimi <laughs> Hendrix, but you believe it, right? So as long as, and then I just went, yeah, so I guess as long as I don't try to sing out of my range, it'll be okay. I'll just kind of bark and mean it. Yeah. And I did mean it a lot. <laughs> like there was no acting involved with forced entry. I mean, those, you know, sort of like, it's all sort of horror fiction stuff. You know, the stuff we wrote back then, it wasn't necessarily meant to be politicized or anything of that nature, right? But it just kind of worked because we're not trying to sing something we can't sing. Sure. Right. And we always agreed there was no laws to music. So, you know, it's just like make it as fun as we want to make it happen shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll know. It, it works. And clearly, uh, clearly you guys have made an impact on the industry because, you know, uh, those those demo tapes are highly sought after. Um, I see them pop up on eBay from time to time for astronomical amounts of money. In fact, there is on eBay, I believe right now, there is uh, an original long box version of As Above, So Below for like 150 bucks, like sealed, unopened. Um, so I see that stuff kind of nice. pop around from time to time. Um, and in fact, uh, another listener, uh, Josh Kennedy, he's like, uh, Hey, do you guys have any old demo tapes laying around? And if, if so, can I have them all? <laughs> I think that those are, uh, those are really collector's yeah. items at this point. Colin went to refresh himself or something and look for <laughs> yeah. a demo tape. So if you got a question for me, Oh, he's coming. Oh, here we go. Oh, Hey Josh. There you go. Look at all of there those. There you go, Josh. Look at those tapes that you can't have um yeah, well, i'm gonna take a picture of that and send it to you josh <laughs> no dude that's awesome uh, uh my, my buddy josh he's a collector of, of uh, tapes so he appreciates a good a good demo we used so. to have lots of that stuff laying around but yeah Yeah, over the years, things kind of come and go. So, you know, uh, we were chatting uh, kind of uh, before before we hopped on here in in the sense of uh, now all of a sudden, so you guys have made this announcement, things are happening again. And then finally, your music is uh, is available streaming for the first time. Um, That's pretty awesome. What the hell took so long? Uh, I don't think either one of us realize that somebody would care yeah <laughs> would be the, the honest most honest answer wouldn't it yeah i we just didn't really we didn't really like care well, our lives are going on and we're just doing things um and not thinking about like um i mentioned earlier before we got on the air that i forgot i was even in a band for most of the last 25 years it's not something that was on the high point of my mind ever i'm running a business and raising a family i married my girlfriend from high school and we bought a house when i was very young like right about the time that i gave up forced entry but Colin and I have stayed friends, but it's not something we talk about all the time. He's played in other bands. I've definitely done some acoustic things with Colin. You get what I'm getting at? But I just didn't think about that. Well, it became clear to me that people were hungering for this music. I kind of knew one of the reasons why we weren't more popular is because Relativity Records, Combat, you know, never knew what to do with a band that was popular. They never even pressed more than 100,000 copies of our CD. So, I mean, when we were touring, if they would have pressed 500,000 copies, I have no doubt in my mind we would have had a gold record. Mm-hmm. So, as the 25 years intervened, I just didn't think anybody really gave a fuck. I figured it was on YouTube if somebody wanted to listen to it. But it, all of a sudden, I started, people started asking me a lot in the last year. And I got frustrated and just did it. Yeah. You know, because nobody else was going to do it for me, so to speak. And so, I've taken some interest. Uh, I think the rest kind of ties into what you're mentioning. Like, not really like we made a formal announcement. Hey, four centuries getting back together. Me and Colin have just been talking and going like, hey, it doesn't matter how long it takes, slow and steady, let's just get something together where we can have some fun with this again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that awesome. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, relativity and that that whole, I guess, kind of 
was ultimately what kind of wound everything down there back in the 95 sure. era, right? Came. Right on the same time that the Seattle grunge scene exploded, all of a sudden we're calling there on tour and no one there even knows us. Yeah. Like they fired a bunch of people, the rest of them were high and blow and they're like, forced entry, what? And we're like, yeah, we're out touring right now for our record. And they're like, oh, sorry, we just gave Crozier Conformity $30,000 to tour. <laughs> so no support for you guys, you know, kind of thing. And we're like, what the fuck? They just opened up for us. Like this is back in the day when freaking tool was opening up for us at the Moore theater back then. Yeah. So strange days. And by the time we got out of our record contract, it was kind of just over. Yeah. It was metal. Over. Metal was dead at that point. Brad pretty much. Full blown, not coming to band practice, just wanting to do bad things that I won't mention <laughs> to do with drugs, you know, and just, and then maybe wanted to play our same song list that we've played for the last five years, Sure. which wasn't something I was interested in. So, you know, I, I, threw down the gauntlet said this is my last show and never looked back really and yeah that that was it i mean the uh the idea that uh that that label is kind of combat in and of itself is a fairly reputable label but relativity didn't seem to have the same no. this, the same organizational structure the same support for their artists it was supposed to be the better of the two like relativity was supposed to be the parent company of combat i think right. at the time but the, the most popular act they ever had was Steve Vai. And I mean, I want to be careful the way I word this, but the facts don't change. You know, like the summer of 91, any town would play where we'd get to see the heavy metal uh, stations playlist or things like that. Only the Black Elm was above four century as far as airplay goes. I mean, so, and we were in many, 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 every major city in the U.S., you know, from Chicago to New York, Tampa, you know, San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, whatever to say, Columbus, anywhere. We'd do these in-stores. Thousands of people would come to get us to sign their stuff. No CDs, no cassettes, nothing. With people like, well, where can we get your CD? And I mean, that's incredibly frustrating to be in a band that's young. We're in our early 20s and wanting to move the world. And there's no, no way to get our record. Yeah. And you call the label every day and then nobody answers. Nobody knows who you are. We had the same management as Sepultura at the time. Um, so, you know, we had the same management company and she's blowing them up every day. Gloria Bujanowski trying to get our record repressed or our CD rather, you know. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was an uphill battle. And so I, I, you know, lobbied to get us dropped from our record contract. But by, again, by the time we did, it was kind of just over. Nobody was interested in signing any metal band. Yeah. It was like Nirvana had happened and Soundgarden. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. even like, uh, I mean, that Sanctuary right around that same time, same thing. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they were feeling pressure to try to morph their sound into more of the quote unquote Seattle sound. And then yeah. that was just disastrous. It was a more polished sort of like, uh, well, classic heavy metal, hairband style metal. Yeah, you know, but they eventually, yeah, morphed it a little more, a little more metally sounding, like a little more thrash metal after that. Yeah. So it's I just believe. it's a uh, it's crazy, and there was uh, crazy world, my friend. <laughs> and I don't know. It if... was a weird time, you know. It yeah. was like it, we we it's it's kind of hard to explain, but it's like we went from playing it. It happened so fast. I mean, literally went from playing, you know warehouse parties you know the band saber we're playing in their garage it went from you know covens at the grange hall we're playing at this little concert theater in lake city washington and then all of a sudden it's like boom boom everything got big 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 but then it never exploded nationally because of the record label yeah yeah because you, you can't sell records it. if they don't make if records they don't exist how are you going to sell records <laughs> yeah so so yeah and we purposely signed on an independent because we didn't want to start at the top like Columbia Records flew me to LA and me and Colin to LA took us to Disneyland. And I actually said no to their recording contract, which now I'm like, what the fuck are you thinking, bro? But I mean, yeah, we're on Headbangers Ball on MTV every other weekend, things like that, you know, and we're blowing up. 
and uh, no CDs, can't buy our CD. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually it funny that you so- that you mentioned that because that was actually a. Uh, Josh had also wanted me to ask you guys about that. He had uh, clearly the, the word was out there that you had turned down other contracts in order to go with mm-hmm. combat yeah, relativity. Yeah, and uh, Chrysalis. Geez, almost six or seven big record companies flew up to Seattle and coveted our band, so to speak. You know, we needed showcases, but I wanted to go to an independent, just like Metallica or Megadeth or my, any of my heroes did, and then go from there to a major once we were worth something to a major, rather than take the developmental artist deal at a major and then maybe get get thrown get off kicked. or get kicked and then nobody no independent will pick you up maybe so it seemed like the right course because that's the course that other bands of our type had taken yeah you know and of course we're talking a time before pantera was pantera things like that you know at that time pantera was hair they metal, were hair metal yeah playing just like regular metal they did, they end up playing like fourth century style music of course everybody knows that and they're an awesome band but at the time we were doing this stuff in 87 you know that stuff wasn't around right yeah and we were you know we were trying to just do a new form of progressive thrash metal yep original well i think now is a perfect time to check out one of those early forms of original progressive thrash metal and stick around because we're actually going to talk about this song a little more later in the show so bringing it back to 1989 off the debut full-length uncertain future here's forced entry with anaconda
when I when I listen to like the shore, for instance, I mean, clearly the the format was taking a little bit more of a progressive approach to it is a little bit we'll say mm-hmm. less raw for instance than uh than uncertain yeah. for sure but then there was a, a kind of a different style as well i mean it still had the signature sounds and you know the there's a bunch lacking on that thing and there's a story to that too and it all has to do with our good old guitar player brad hall well let's tell the story <laughs> well like the, the album's only half produced <laughs> you know we only got half of it done so those songs that i wrote he didn't really add in his stuff like you know, and he also wasn't there to help me with the vocals. Like usually he's got a better ear for like, are you singing slightly off key or to do the backup harmonies to me? So a bunch of those things, the production just suffers horribly on that album. The shore, those songs are so much better than they are on that recording. It makes me sick to my stomach when I think about it. So you're not happy with that it's, product. It's, that sounds more like a demo that we would have done way before. Yeah. Those songs were great songs. Like the song, my asthma, just, I mean, if you, the live seeing that song, it'd be like the best song we ever wrote. On the recording, it just doesn't it just doesn't come across right. The the, the it was incomplete. Was garbage. It's incomplete. incomplete. It didn't get mastered properly, none of that stuff. Okay. I'm surprised it ever even got out there. So now, I guess what I wanted. I guess that leads to the question then is, you know, was there other material that was written that did just didn't get recorded stuff that got yeah. left on the chopping block? We were just block. talking about that on the back porch before we went on with you. Yeah, there's lots of songs I wrote and Colin wrote with me and things from before and after those records and during that we never really polished up, you know, but, the, but yeah, there's a lot of material that isn't recorded. And so we've discussed things like, okay, if it takes us a while to get a guitar player doing some newer stuff, we were thinking about maybe putting out a live record. You know, we've got some great live recordings that you kick around from us playing in Chicago yeah. and, and in New York and things like that, that actually uh, I'm amazed. I forgot how fucking tight we were when we played live. I'm like, damn, this sounds better than our album. almost and a couple of <laughs> things I've heard, but I'm not sure what people can do with those recordings with the technology nowadays. So, we're just exploring those ideas a little as, as we speak. Yeah. Yep. So it's I'd love to put out a live record. Yeah. Live records. I, man, I wish more people did live records because I'm a huge fan of, of live shows. And, and uh, I think especially right now, I mean, you look at all with COVID and especially people that are fans of music, you can't get out there and play. What's going to be the next best thing. It's going to be having that live yeah. experience. And I'm surprised that we're not seeing more, more live records or, or just people just releasing more shit about live shows right Isn't now. There's some people, Mike, that are doing like, um, like they're just sort of mic up and, and video camera up their band room and play live that way. Sure. Yeah. It'd be like a podcast sort of, uh, a lot of live, a lot of live streaming yeah. going on, but I'm just mean like some of the songs that we covered, for instance, that we, all of our fans had a great time with. And, and some of those unrecorded songs you mentioned, there's recordings of those, but I'm not sure what kind of recording quality they are off. Like, um, one of our friends from KCMU here, uh, Jeff Gilbert, the uh, writer for Playboy magazine and a bunch of other famous publications wrote for The Rocket. He would always carry this big suitcase sort of reel-to-reel thing under his arm. And I can see in the pictures of us playing mural amphitheater back in the day at Seattle Center that he has that. Where are those recordings now would be an example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember seeing lots of people doing recording and video recordings and things at other places. And I've seen some stuff on YouTube, you know, where it's obviously just a... Uh, a VHS recording or something, but I think with the technology is nowadays, a good engineer can clean that stuff up and probably do something. With yeah. It. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the mural amphitheater because I saw you guys with panic there, um, back oh, in, yeah? back in the day. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, but I, that whole area nice. his it doesn't even look the same anymore. So, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. really, yeah. Like I haven't been down there in quite a while. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. But I, I guess I, I always thought about that. You know, I listened to the shore and I was like, it, it seems like, you know, from a from a fan perspective that maybe something just wasn't finished and you've just confirmed that, in fact. So, you nailed it. That's why it sounds stupid like that. <laughs> so why was it released? Did you get pressure to just get something out? 
we would we didn't really want Tony I and I didn't want, want to, to. And I didn't want to call it Fourth Century either. I wanted to finish. A we actually recorded it under another name. And we were going to release it under the band name Bullneck. Yeah, I was going to get us another record deal from somebody else, but I didn't want to ride the coattails of Fourth Century because you know grunge happens like it was kind of the death of metal for a while you know judas priest iron maiden motley crew forest entry like any of these two name type bands that just sounded like that style people who didn't want to touch it like people they are people at record labels right so i was like let's just record some more new songs under any other name and I, i'll bet you dollars and times i guess the record deal and i i would have i'm pretty good at that self-promotion type stuff uh, i got us the record deals the first time around by setting my mind to it. But, and I didn't, I wanted to believe that, hey, he's my friend, he's got my best interest in mind, and maybe he is right. Let's let's go ahead then. I, so I sort of conceded, and it was a mistake. Got it. Yeah, no, it's an interesting I dynamic, you know. He did the best he could with it, but it, it, he didn't do anything with it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, for what it's worth, the, the songs, I mean, people that are fans of the band can still recognize that, you know, it's still a forced entry song, and it's still, that there's, there's still the composition element behind it. And they're still quality songs. Maybe the recording isn't as good as you like it, but yeah, you get what I mean, though. But it's not produced, right? Like right. you know, like and and the arrangements. Are, and there's enough little off times. Like people don't necessarily know what they're listening to, but I do. And I know, like, to have a, to, to make things sound like other songs sounded, there has to be continuity to the whole thing. You know, there can't be stopping and starting. And some of those things. If I would have been able to work with Brad, like I usually did, like I explained earlier, like I'd bake the cake. He'd help me put the frosting on it. We might have pushed and pulled a few pieces out. Like, let's, you know, this rhythm doesn't really relate to this. What do you think about this, Tony? I'd be like, oh, maybe do that. Or Colin would do that a lot with me, too. Or I'd change around some of Colin's drum parts to make it sound more fluid. And you see how there's just a lot of, uh, you know, almost like improvised sounding rhythms. Some of those songs have like 40 rhythms in one song. <laughs> you know, whereas like the, the song, um, is it Slidey on there? It's called Soul Train. We used to call Soul it. Train. That Soul Train song, that's only like three rhythms. Of, that's a great song, but it's not recorded great. So it doesn't come across. Um couple of those other ones, like Licking My Wounds, it's got like a bajillion rhythms in it, man. Yeah. Right? Is that the right mm-hmm. one? I think so, yeah. I haven't listened to it forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I know why. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you mentioned... Uh... <laughs> No, that's I, I totally get it. I, I mean, I still think it's it's a uh, it's a thing. It's part of history now. I mean, there's it, clearly it still has the the level of people that that want to support it and, and be behind it. And at the end of the day, it was kind of the last thing. It's fucking bullshit, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you, burn it, burn it, burn it. Uh, it's it's. If we, I think if we did our thing, we're talking about. We'll probably. I would. I wouldn't mind re-recording my asthma. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the question the question has been posed. You know. I don't know if you guys still have like the masters for that or if you still have access. We have the masters for everything. Okay, cool. So you've retained all of your own material then. Yep. Yeah. Um, does combat or relativity own any of your stuff? Have any rights to any of it? No. Nope. Awesome. I, I mean, if they do, I have no freaking idea. I mean, we always retain the rights, like our copyright. And I mean, we, we, um, I registered everything properly with ASCAP and stuff, the Association of Songwriters and Producers yeah. or whatever, authors and producers, that stuff and all that type of stuff. And I think there there was a term, you know what I mean? It was like seven years or seven albums or whatever comes first, something of that nature. And that's forever ago. So I can't imagine them winning any type of legal dispute on that. Brad somehow relicensed our stuff without us signing anything. So it released in Europe, that, that sort of like where they put together Uncertain Future with the shore. But the reason why they couldn't do As Above, So Below was because, again, I, re- I had the rights and Brad's not going to ask me to do that. Right. He was like, oh, yeah, I freaking re-released our shit with Sony. They're going to do something in Europe with it. And we're like, what the fuck in the hell is that? We didn't even know anything about it because we didn't want the shore 
put on the same piece of vinyl or I mean, you know, the same CD with Uncertain Future. They don't, do not go together. <laughs> not <laughs> very know? well. They're distanced by, you know, multiple years of time. And stylistically, anyway, for sure. That's kind of what happened with that. And when me, when me and Colin ask, like, well, how did you do that or whatever? Or, you know, were you going to get any money out of it at all? And he's like, oh, you and Colin don't need money. You both have your own businesses. Like somebody gave us our business, which is retarded too. I mean, we work for everything we got. We're both poor kids from Terrace. I mean, it's not like somebody's freaking, oh, here, have a business, son. Did he get the picture? Oh, yeah. I Trust me. You've painted quite the vivid picture. Um, well, that being said, you've got that material plus others that, that didn't, you know, make it onto the, uh, or they just stayed on the cutting room floor, I guess. So the. Yeah, I think there was well, only there's, six songs. And Mike, that. keep in mind, like there were six songs for the shore, but of all the songs that made it onto the albums, there's another 10 parts that never got arranged into it. Right. So there's there's chunks of songs that just never got completed that me and Tony could probably play right now today if we wanted to just yeah, for memory. For sure. But there's so much content that never got put into the pie because we were prolific writers. I mean, yeah, we would we write play live We would write 100 before. we would write 100 parts for one song and then just cherry pick the best parts yeah, to like sequence Black them Sabbath. together. Like I always really respect that about Tony Iommi and shit. How he's a total riff master. He'd have enough riffs in one Black Sabbath song to do 10 songs from somebody simpler, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's kind of my concept. I'd try to write a whole bunch of rhythms that were all related to a certain theme, you know, and then we'd throw out what didn't look like house <laughs> or whatever <laughs> saying you want to do. Cut out what don't look like house if you're building one. Yeah. Just so like Colin's uh, alluding to there, there's a lot of material and songs we didn't put on our first demos. They would have thought about, you know, okay, what do we do first? And so that might be where we go first is release some of the unreleased material from back of the day and then write some new ones or do a live record in the interim, see if we can get some interest. I right away had quite a bit of interest from people wanting to bid for the recording project, um, producers and la uh, labels, and people have sent me lots of uh, messaging and things like that, saying like, hey, I just want to put it out there. I can see where this is going. You know, I want to bid for the project for either producing it or, or putting it out on my record label and stuff like that. And I haven't really, I don't want to insult anyone, but I haven't taken time to really weed through any of that correspondence, to tell you the truth. I figured we'd figure out for sure who was going to play guitar with us or if I was going to have to go buy a guitar or what. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess that's the thing is, so, you know, you guys are, you're back, you're doing stuff. You've got old material. I'm sure that, you know, like you said, you're, you're, you're prolific. You're, you're writing stuff all the time. Theoretically. So we could see a new forced entry release officially sometime in the future. Yeah. I it's a possibility. That's, it's well, Mike, everything's on the table right now. You know, the, the most important thing, I mean, it's fun that Tony and I were in a band together 30 years ago and people admire or, you know, people like the music and we made an impact. But the most important thing really now is that we just want to do stuff together. Yeah. And have it be, you know, have it be, you know, semi-polished. Like, I don't want to release something worse than what I released back then, but I don't want to allude to trying to match the things I did when I was 25 years old either. But I think I still have a lot to say and I think Colin does as well. Mm -hmm. So we could, we certainly have, you know, things that would be worthwhile. That's not going to be a cookie cutter version of some other bands. Sure. Too. You know, with, uh, with people doing a lot of their own recordings and, and kind of their own pr production, is that something you guys might consider yourselves is just doing the recordings with, with, you know, your stuff or your friend's studios and just taking it somewhere else to have it mixed and mastered? Well, for demo or songwriting purposes, sure. But I don't think I'd want to do that and release it that way. No, I'd want to yeah. have somebody that's much better than me, an outside ear to produce it. 
because that's what gives these production values the right way. You know, like I can certainly produce, um, but not in the way that an outside ear is going to do it. You know, so like working with uh, the guys from London Bridge really helped on Thrashy Help Us Down and on Uncertain Future. Unfortunately, I think Rod, Rick has passed away now, no longer with us. They're not there anymore. Rod. Yeah. Is London Bridge still there? Anyway, yeah, I think I, for what you said, to have a shorter answer, yes, we would probably do some home recording stuff. Uh, Colin is a producer he works with right now, um, and he has some basic recording equipment here where we practice. But I think I'd want to do a real record, yeah. you know, have, have a producer produce it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And, and not... if I could, unless nobody <laughs> gives a rat's ass, and then I guess we'd do it ourselves. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have no doubt. I have no doubt that there's some people out there that definitely give more than a rat's ass that, that would uh, that would like to see that happen for sure. Uh, <laughs> the dude, uh, what's the guy from Megadeth's name's Ellsworth? Is it Dave Ellsworth? Uh, uh, Dave Ellison. Ellison. Um, yeah. Ellison. He's reached out to me recently, wanting to be involved with the project. Okay. Uh, him and another friend of his, they're down in Florida. And uh, had thrown it out there, like, if you guys are going to do this, man, you know, we'll do this. Or, you know, they, they either have a label or, or some abilities down there with that. But again, I didn't like weed through all that. So I don't necessarily want to, you know, yeah, I couldn't quote verbatim exactly what said. A lot of people have reached out to me in the last couple of months since I let that slip about the song list. Mm-hmm. And me and Colin started having a little bit of chatter and putting our own mm-hmm. pictures on Facebook and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, Ellison's he's he's doing mm-hmm. a lot of stuff with his label. In fact, he worked with uh, Jeff Duncan from Armored Saint. Uh, okay, on... so I'm, I'm saying right then he does have a label. Yeah, he does. Yeah, so that's yeah. one of the guys that right away reached out to me and said, hey, if Four Century's doing this, I want to be the guy. Yeah. Yeah, and he's legit. His stuff is really cool. So he's definitely moved cool. kind of definitely. Well, good. Okay, well, maybe we'll we'll try to go up that route. I, know, I think I was left pretty open-ended, like, just, hey, give me a call, you know, when you're ready to start doing something kind of thing. And we've been him and Han over the holiday. We thought another guitar player was really going to do this with us. Um, and we don't know what happened to him. We just, yeah, we're just not sure. We don't know if it's COVID. We don't know. If, well, just like he was all excited and trading messages with Colin, and then just nothing. Just kind of went dark on us the last month or so. So. Oh, shit. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I, my, I personally was like, how the hell is he going to do this? And Colin's like, he can do this. <laughs> okay, so I guess we could talk about that other guitar player since he just test, texted me like five seconds ago. Well, yeah, how's that for fucking timing? That's good timing. It was good timing for him. So his name's Russ Stavanovich, and he used to be the uh, guitar, the lead guitarist for Bitter End with Matt Fox. Okay. You know, now Matt, childhood friend of mine, he'd tried out for Force Entry a time or two mm-hmm. and just can't play the rhythm stuff that I play. But Russ seems to think he can. So that's that was our initial plan was to, to start this kind of rolling Russ with Russ. And, I, and Colin would do it. You know, and I'd play bass and sing, and Colin would play drums and sing, and Russ would play guitar, or we'd all sing if we wanted to, you know? Yeah. And he just coincidentally messaged you, or were you like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm serious. He, he just, just did. did right this second. He's not, <laughs> he's obviously not watching this. This isn't this live. This is not live. No, that's crazy. I like the fact that uh, this is a tie-in still you know to bitter end then which is great because you know you're keeping it back in that you know seattle area uh you know kind of time zone i would like to my bit is i want to dean from coven who's a childhood friend of mine i've talked to this week and colin plays i want dean and russ to both play guitar for the new forest century lineup that's what i'm hoping will happen yeah and then we'll and we'll write new songs and you know do a few of our old ones but write a few new ones and and kick ass no pressure dean just saying Oh, yeah. dude, he's he's, de- he's called Dean the Machine for a freaking reason. <laughs> dude knows every song known to mankind. Like he is he is beyond human jukebox of any yeah, sort of the, the imagination. <laughs> and also very very easygoing. Like we grew up a block apart from each other. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's awesome. I, I I like the idea that, I mean, obviously if, if Russ is your guy and that works out, then fantastic. But you know, you guys have a, just a wealth of contacts and friends and people that you grew up with. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, do you remember Jeff Loomis from Sanctuary? I, quite well. Well, he just texted me like right before we started your thing too, saying, let's fucking jam, Fuck. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he tried out for fourth century once too. Like in Sanctuary times, he was like, oh, I own a year. Same thing. I mean, He's like, you really couldn't play the stuff that I play. Yeah. Which sounds kind of abhorrent, like, but it's not that easy to play that stuff. The rhythms for our songs are hard. Yeah, they're 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 pretty complex. I mean, everybody can play Word X and everybody can play the beginning of Anaconda, but some of the other stuff, I don't know why it's so difficult for some people, just the time signatures and stuff, I guess. Yeah. Well, your your signatures switch like at the drop of a dime. I mean, so it's it's yeah, just for sure. boom, 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 you know. That's funny, well, though. and I took a lot of pride in fucking people up. Like most of the stuff we wrote was for the three guys in back, like this, right there, in the other local bands, and not really for the fans. Whereas now, I'm gonna, we're going to leave that all out, I believe, right? Yeah. We're, not, yeah. we're not going to fuck anybody's ears up anymore. <laughs> so we're going to try to write a little simpler of an arrangement. Yeah. Well, so it, who knows? Loomis might be in the mix too, dude. It'd be killer to have like a Loomis, you know, guest solo or a guest spot or something like that. Oh, that, we've been talking about that a lot. Yeah, we we all we also talked about that today and last month. Like there doesn't need to be any laws to this stuff. We can just have kind of a, you know. Every nowadays with the with the R and B stuff is always this song featuring so and so and that song featuring so and so. There's no reason to believe me and Colin couldn't just be sort of the basis for it and have a lot of different guest guitar players play with us. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome. We're just kind of the, the, the engine that drives the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. we we lay down a pretty solid rhythm together. Yeah. Yeah, I think that yeah. uh, people would people would love to hear that too. I mean, not only are you coming back, but you're bringing some friends with you, and uh, you know, I think sure. there's a, there's a lot of bands in this area that that would love to be involved in not only their own stuff, but to you know get a chance to to kind of bring back you know not only relive the past, but kind of bring it back to the modern time. I think that's that's yeah, yeah. Shredathon. <laughs> Shredathon would be cool. You know, you mentioned Headbangers Ball and. Uh, I, I was uh, feeling nostalgic over the last couple of days, and I was I was uh, watching like the videos for uh, for uh, Macrocosm and uh, Never the Know, and I was just feeling mm-hmm. like, oh man, we really need to get get some of this stuff just kind of back. Uh, that whole heyday. A bunch of dead guys in those videos, right? <laughs> Did you say a bunch of dead guys? There's a lot of guest stars in those videos that are no longer with us. I guess I shouldn't joke about the dead, but yeah, no, no, I feel it. It's uh, that just that like whole... a couple of you know, like uh, a couple of the guys from Alice in Chains, right? And they never know that are no longer with us. And mm. there's quite a few people in the other one too that are no longer with us. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, time goes on. Yeah, it's just uh, it's it's unfortunate. Uh, it just I but it I is. see that stuff and I just go. It just makes me really really nostalgic for that time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Now that we're saying it out loud, I'm kind of feeling that way too. Going, this is actually a pretty cool idea, I guess, to have <laughs> like not to have any strangers playing, but having other guys for other metal groups aren't together, sort of reforming a group with us, with me and Colin. Yeah, because like I said, that'd be the strong suit of the band. Is I don't really think I thought about it in these terms back then, but that Colin and I playing together, like me, the bass and the drums together. You know, we have a, a kind of a unique signature, right? We have a pretty unique machine. Like it sounds like a, a motor going. Like when I get going, the way I play pick sometimes and fingers sometimes, and the way Colin hits his drums, like we could lay down a pretty solid rhythm for just about anybody to play guitar over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So hopefully that'll work out. Yeah, I think you know it's always when you're on on the the receiving end of people saying, "Oh, hey, I really like your stuff." It's cool and it's complimentary, and I'm sure it's nice. But at some point, you you when you realize that, wow way more fucking people like this than I thought. And maybe people miss us. Maybe, maybe now the time is That's right. That's kind of what happened here. That's kind of what made me 
talk to Colin and what we're doing here today and what we've been doing. Yeah, it's exactly how you described it, Mike. Like I started realizing like, hey, this meant something to a lot of people. And maybe I should remember how it made me feel and see what it means to me now. And when I looked at that, I was like, you know what? I want to fucking do this. Yeah. It would, you know, and also, uh, in fact, uh, this is a question that, that Charles had and a couple other people mentioned it as well. Um, uh, there's rumors of a, uh, of some re-releases, maybe some new pressings on vinyl specifically for as above. Is, is that, is that true? Is that a rumor or has that been talked about? Well, I mean, that is something we have talked about and we may have, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. on vinyl, on vinyl. Yeah. Yeah, that so is, yeah. we, we've talked about remastering. We've talked about reissuing. We've talked about compilations. We've talked about live. We've talked about, you know, make me do press on a vinyl with demos on it. Or and, yeah. Maybe like a two disc set, like re-release as above. So below on vinyl and then re-release or, or first time release, you know, like a, an EP of new songs or something on CD yeah. or something like that, or maybe a B side, like, um, there's a lot of things we could do there, I guess. But first, you know, first things first, we got to decide who the hell is going to play guitar. <laughs> yeah. 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 We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it is cool. You know, the fact that yeah, but I think what Colin's alluding to is probably worth, um, sort of that soaking is I think him and I could release some stuff without doing anything. You know, we we have things that have been recorded in the past, like live recordings and things like that and other songs that we never released that we can just do that in the meantime to sort of keep a buzz generated about the band or at least, you know, start the ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. If it took a long time to write the new record or something like that, we were going to do one. You see what I'm saying, Mike? We could maybe in the meantime release a, a, some live recordings or something. Might be fun. Hell yeah, dude. That'd be awesome. You know, we all love re-releases. Uh, of course, we're all... The concept of new material from you guys, I think, is fucking mind-blowing. Um, so whether or not that's truly new material or, you know, visiting the vault and just kind of bringing it back and breathing some new life into it, either way... Um, I think it's, it's created quite a buzz. People are super stoked about it. And obviously we can't play, you know, right now we can't really do shows of any consequence, but I assume at some point you guys get together, uh, you get some, some new shit worked out. And then, uh, a question that's been posed to me a few times, uh, especially by, uh, Alicia Avotica, who's a, a member of also your, uh, Oh yeah. Thrash Immortal Dead, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Alicia was like, Hey, you know, if they do cool any stick. recordings, you know, is there the possibility of maybe some tour? Or is there some shows? I, I assume that's on the table as well. Oh, no, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> We're pretty old to be touring around, flirting with the girlies. Could do some local shows, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of just kidding. We'll just see what... Happens. I mean, if we played... I mean, if we played a local show, it would, you know... 90% of the people there, we would know on a first-name basis. I'm, You know, just because of... We've made so many connections over the years. It would be a blast. It would be like a, you know old home week yeah well reunion. thankfully like con's alluding to there too i've used that word like 12 times in this interview i think alluding to but <laughs> yeah we've, we've stayed friendly with the music industry people in seattle around as far as we're aware so yeah if we played local shows it'd be like playing a party for our friends a couple thousand <laughs> of them it's funny when you look at how much the pressure comes off when you just consider doing shit for your friends um, I, I, people ask me that all the time, you know, about like, I, I do lots of interviews and talk to a lot of people and people say like, Oh my God, do you get nervous or this or that? I go, dude, it's a conversation with friends. That's how I, that's how I treat it. And it's the same with, yeah. you know, playing shows for your friends. It's the fucking best, uh, because it changes yeah, the whole dynamic. Back, no pressure. Like you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and you know, all the clubs are different now though. So, uh, none of those clubs that were around back in, back in the heyday are there anymore. Ballard firehouse and off ramp and Natasha's sadly. The and rock candy were our favorites oh, for sure. Rock candy. Yeah. Um, rock like, candy. You know, the off ramp uh, paid me so well. I mean, anytime they would have a national act cancel, they'd call us out. They'd call us up. Hey, can you guys do this and pinch hit? We need somebody. We need a headliner. And for a while, man, like, and I think that was pre us being recording artists, right? Around that time. But we'd get like half the door. And for us kids, I mean, that was so much money <laughs> to be a three piece band. And they sell tickets for 10 bucks. A thousand people come in, $10,000, right? And we get like half. Yeah. So that's like fifteen or sixteen or two thousand dollars each. Shit, that's something like that. Shit, it's enough for me to play Huckleberry Finn for a whole month. <laughs> like not have to work and just go fishing the whole time. Yeah, yeah. come back for band practice a few times there. We go backpack again. I used to call that yeah Huck Finn in it. Yeah, that's epic. Those those I days are place, right? those days those are, are long days. gone. You know, for for that anymore. I mean, shit artists even getting a good cut at the door is so rare even when you bring them in these days with the way these they were so good to us because like i said they would just they would get all the drinks and the other bands that played they got the money from them but you know to have a band like us they could sell it out every time every time we play there would sell out there's you know there's no more people getting in or a lot of times they'd have to book us two nights in a row you know so there wasn't like a riot out in the street but that was great because they took really good care of us right you remember those days oh yeah like that was a lot of the fun part of it and the rock candy, of course, just right down the alleyway there. Yeah, I, man, rock candy was so cool. All all those clubs, you know, Seattle Underground, the Phoenix Underground, all those mm-hmm. places. Yeah, we played there with Man of War. Oh, <laughs> War. Yeah, yeah, with all their furry boots and stuff. <laughs> Real men play on ten. They got the big hairy chest. We felt like girls compared to those guys because I, I don't think we were twenty one when we played with them. Yeah, yeah, that's. And they were all just these big Italian guys with gnarly hairy chests and like freaking swords and stuff yeah. <laughs> hey i uh before i forget uh we're talking about old stuff uh somebody had just uh just men- mentioned uh, hey make sure you ask him about this let's talk about the lame list real quick speaking of old seattle <laughs> uh you know i so almost live obviously was a thing and i was a huge fan of that and uh surprised one day when i'm when i'm tuned into it and and there you are on the fucking lame list uh <laughs> that just blew my mind. Tell me about that real quick. What do you want to know about it? I just did a, uh, maybe five years ago, me and Kim from Soundgarden, who was also the lame list and John Keister from almost live yep. did our comedy act, like some real stand up stuff at giggles, a comedy club here in Seattle, just like four or five years ago. Gilbert set that up. The, original, um, the one that we just did Keister called me and said, you want to do this? And I was like, sure, I'll do it. If you do it. And believe it, the coolest thing for me was there was way more people that were like, hey, that's Tony Benjamin's. That's Tony Benjamin's. You can hear whispering in the crowd. Yeah. And nobody was going, isn't that John Keister or Kim Dale? <laughs> and I was going, ha, suckers. These people recognize me more than you. We were teasing each other. And Gilbert, Jeff Gilbert was always kind of a go-between for all of us from KCMU. Yeah. And he's one of the lame listers. So I think basically <clears throat> they just wrote some skits and and wanted some gnarly, long-haired looking dudes and, and asked us to do it. And there you go. And there, and there it was. Just uh But the the cool part about that is that when you're on almost live, that means you get to go to the cast Christmas party at the end of the yeah, year. King that King was fun. You know, like flirt with Mimi <laughs> Jung and shit, you know. What man. <laughs> what is is almost live even is it still a thing? I mean, even at all? Is it 
It's a it's it's never gone off. Uh, Comedy re- Central repeat. and stuff like that. Yeah. It's all. I mean, if you turn on the TV, I mean, every week it's still on at like one thirty in the morning. They never stop playing it. Yeah. And so of course it's on YouTube for all to see all the time. Yeah. I yeah. I think that iconic Seattle imagery and just harkening back to those days i mean almost live was i mean that was the staple that was like walking into a a store and picking up a copy of the rocket you know or something like that um you know going to to watch it every week yeah exactly going down to uh uh experience and picking up some doc martens or some fucking leather pants or something or uh you know walking down you know alaskan way and on the waterfront and just Did that answer good enough for mike what, yeah. how it came about yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it was kind of just and it turned into a real fun thing to do yeah <laughs> lame <laughs> lame 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 oh, so fucking yeah, just cool kind of a cult classic i guess yeah it really is it really is uh one that's not as popular that it was really fun to do was <clears throat> we also did a skit or i did it with uh keister to call those guys called practical applications for headbanging and that was on a couple of their, their christmas specials like the one that i remember the best was like um you know it came about practical applications for headbanging with like a silly voice and like i come up the front door of this party and i'm wearing like my sand hat and i have like a case of ear in each hand and i look down at the one hand look down at the other hand and then go boom 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 and knock on the door with my head right like bang my head <laughs> like yeah, just a lot of stupid shit like that like practical applications for headbanging but that one is never as popular as, as the high five and white guys or the lame high five and white guys <laughs> yeah uh classic classic seattle guys that's cool so uh okay i've got one more listener question here from you who says make sure i'm anonymous i don't want my name out on the radio but it's uh oh whatever bro (laughs) it is uh is it true that anaconda was written about someone in the band's dick of course not no I figured that was the answer, but I said I'd ask it. So we're all from the the northern regions of Europe, so we all have tiny dicks. Unless we're excited, then they're fucking huge. <laughs> but the girl, we're not a shower, buddy. I think I have that in common with Colin and Brad. Uh, wow, that was a... like when you're from like my parents are from Holland, and when you're from Holland and not from Africa, you know you're not walking around with the anaconda, man. Unless the girl works at it first, then it's the amazing spinning cobra. <laughs> Hope that answers the question. I think that answers the question way more than uh, we actually thought that would get answered. Wanted, right? <laughs> uh, TMI, right? So uh, yeah, way too much. Way too much. Well, that that is uh, I have on. The song, the... You, know, I wrote, you want to know where, where I got the idea and how I wrote the song? Let's do it. Okay, so when I was in college, they have if you guys remember they have these little Pulp Fiction books that you if you turn to one page it's one ending and the more choice you make it comes to a different ending. The choose the your own adventure. Yeah, remember those. Yeah, so I had one of those, and it was a guy exploring around the jungle. And of course, one of the pages went to these witch doctor dudes that were like, "Oh, the spirit of the forest, anaconda." And so in that song, where I'm going, Manitoa Gunamona, that Manitoa Gunamona was this chant in this book, right, from these witch doctors doing that to get the spirit out of the forest of this big fucking anaconda that came and like killed these motherfuckers, right? And I was like, "What a neat idea for a fiction story, right?" Yeah. And so there you go. And that song before that, I'd written that song on guitar and bass, but we had a lame singer before that that was like, you know, one of these screamer type guys. And not we wanted. And that was actually called Engulf My Glory. Right. <laughs> and I just rewrote the lyrics and called it Anaconda. So there you go. It kind of sounded out, started out as a dick song. <laughs> Engulf My Glory. Um, yes. I'm going to have yeah, to try to work that into conversation. Uh, I don't think a lot of people knew what an anaconda was in 87 necessarily. That, you know, of course, everybody knows what articulated python and anacondas and everything now. But, right. you know, I was just looking for 
original ideas for like horror fiction, just like Dean Arcoons or Stephen King or something of that nature. Wasn't trying to get too profound with anything, but it's got it's got a great creepy beat, man. Yeah, no, it's got that kind of tribal vibe to it in the background. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's got that accelerado at the beginning, yeah. like I was mentioning earlier. You know, that was pretty unique for the time. That's awesome. I'm sure that. Uh, so, what are besides Anaconda? Because I know that's a really popular song. What are the other songs live when you guys play? What do people lose their shit over? Bludgeon, yeah, and bone crack and fever, bone crack and fever. <laughs> yeah, both the songs that have to do with shit. violence for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why that. Well, is. The Bludgeon Strikes ones, of course, got the fourth entry at your back. Yeah, part you know, and they're all about fucking standing by yourself, being true to yourself, and you know. Fucking people up there, liars and posers, just like we're dick. There's Man. a lot of that, you know. Kind of... Posers. That was the thing back in the day. Kill the posers. That was the yeah. that was the mantra of any metalhead back then. Is like, oh, you're a fucking poser. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just saw some old metal album that the name of it was Die Poser, and the poser guy was wearing a rat shirt <laughs> on the, like, the black and white drawing. Yeah, I can't remember what the band was, but it was one of those band names you can't really remember because both names are super long. Like, I don't know, cannibalistic atrociosities. <laughs> yeah, know, I, you know what I mean. They're all little jaggy letters. Yep, where you can't yeah, tell what the- I'm pretty big into the into the death metal. So yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm so pretty. You know exactly what I mean. like, some are very hard to dissimulate what it's actually saying, unless you know the band. But if an outsider guy grabs it, you're just like, what the? Fuck? Well, yeah, that's the but mark of a good logo. Is if you can't read it, then you've then you've uh, accomplished what you've set out yeah. to accomplish. Dude, I think it's horrible because you think about it. I mean, for every death metal band that creates a new logo like 5,000 deer in nature lose their antlers simultaneously <laughs> oh that's probably more black metal than death metal but yeah, yeah. if we're going to argue semantics right. lose their antlers yeah, yeah. or somebody's blackberries <laughs> get ripped up for all those thorn logos that's right <laughs> well so uh here we are then uh We've put it out there. It's happening. You guys are back. Maybe some new stuff. Maybe some revisiting some old stuff. Got some possibilities of people that you're jamming with. What else do we need to know about Forced Entry in 2021? Whatever we do put out, it's going to be for real. It's not going to be a joke. Not going to be. Yep. I'm not going to make it a foolish thing. So we're coming back full fucking force. Yeah, well, you know, that's one reason why I decided not to play when I did play. And just, you know, whatever I do do, I, I don't want it to be a joke. So I hope you know what I mean by that. Like some people just go, oh, this is all just for fun or something. Sure, I'm going to have fun doing it. Whatever I do do with Colin, if it's recorded under that name especially, you know, I'm going to make sure it's unique and as badass as I can make it. It's not going to be some watered-down version bullshit. Colin, you want to add to that? Yeah. No, I think you pretty much put it straight. I mean, like we said, there's no there's no rules. There's no boundaries. I mean – there's no pressure. I mean, it's just true. be true to ourselves and do what we want to do that makes us feel right. Yeah, or we, or we won't do it. We'll just do the live thing or do some other things that maybe are a little more watered down, like record old material. But if I do some new stuff, it's going to be, I'm going to try to make it It's going to be brutal. I'm going to try to make it brutal and, and I'm trying to make it great. It's, I'm going to try to do the things I was going to do then that I didn't, something like that. It's going to be brutal. That's uh, words to live by right there. I mean, you guys, forced entry definitely kind of set the stage for for brutality in the seattle metal scene i would look forward to seeing well, thank you what you guys do you know kind of bringing it back and you know where uh, well did it make sense what i said mike like about being serious yeah. about it like like some people that never knew i played in a band or something will see it and go wow that's pretty funny and i'm like it's not funny yeah 
Yeah, no, this isn't this isn't for shits and grins. This is hey, we're fucking back and we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah, but there's you know you saw fun when you perform, but there's a difference between that and considering it funny in my opinion without being too profound about it. But I think that would be something that would set me apart, or me and Colin Colin and I apart from some of the other people that have done a similar thing. Like if you're gonna wait that long to make some new music anyway, you know, make it count. And I don't want it to be like oh you know like oh they never should have done this. Yeah. Well, you're gonna you're gonna take your time doing it. I'm sure we'll hear it when we hear it. There's no pressure, no timelines, but just so everybody knows, this is fucking happening. It's for real. It's serious. It's not a joke. It's not lighthearted. This is full fucking balls to the it's wall. It's not just a Facebook rumor anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> confirmed, sure. bitches. Would... So. Yeah, we just agreed that we wouldn't put a time pressure stamp on it. Like, hey, if we don't have something released by March, we quit or something. Yeah. When me and Colin had our meetings in private, we've just been like, you know, let's get some, uh, I'd like to get our full color art shirts for our albums put out, some merchandise, because I think people have been asking for for years and years and years. We haven't had that, like, uh, full as above, so below shirt or uncertain future shirts, shit like that. Get some merchandise going again. And um, also just take our time and write some good shit. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, I think we're ready for it. That's that's the reality of it. Uh, us old school guys from back in the day, we're ready for it. I think there's a lot of new people uh, that, that that have been introduced to your music. And I, I think that they're uh, really ready to to say, oh, wow, these guys are have something new to offer to the world. That so, has touched me deeply to have people from other countries that reach out to me yeah. recently and and tell me how much of a difference I made in their life at a certain point and I hadn't really I know it sounds naive but I just hadn't really considered that sure until I started considering doing this again with Colin yeah well uh guys yeah, congratulations cool. on on fucking making this happen and for having the conversations and for you know being willing to explore the possibilities that uh we can breathe new life into shit that meant a lot to a lot of people so uh i i didn't expect it to stay around forever mike yeah. like i was kind of shocked 10 years ago when my son was like you know this music was just sounded just like what i was playing 20 years before i'm like there's still thrash metal he's like oh yeah you know <laughs> and so I think that's another thing. If it wasn't still a valid form of music, of course, I don't think we'd be talking about it. It would yeah. be like Frank Sinatra's greatest hits kind of thing, right? Well, I think now is the perfect time because people have had things taken away from them and now they're going to come back yeah. with a vengeance and they want some new fucking stuff. Yeah. yeah so. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> As With guitar lessons, for sure. So uh, there you have it, guys. <laughs> Forced entry, coming back. Who the fuck knows when, but it'll be sometime soon. Tony Benjamins, Colin Matson, thank you so much for hanging out on Misery Point Radio. You guys are fucking awesome. And open door for you. Anytime you want to come on and hang out and talk about some thank new shit, so come on down. Thanks, Mike. We really appreciate it. Cool. Now, fuck off or I'll kill you. Yeah, fuck off or I'll kill you. <laughs> well, that was, in fact, fucking awesome. And I have no idea what that squeaking sound was, by the way, but it sounded fun. We'll give those guys their privacy. And before you jump down my shit about telling Colin and Tony to fuck off, go take a listen to Weird Dicks off As Above, So Below, and it'll all make sense. By the way, speaking of As Above, So Below, we're going to close this bitch out with a song from that album. So thanks for supporting Misery Point Radio. Continue to spread the propaganda. And while you're spreading stuff, spread your ear sphincters and cram in this tune called Macrocosm Microcosm. Whoa! Hey!
Stop the 